I'd like to get into today's message. And before we get into the text, I have this question that I have for you and me to consider today, and it's this. What do you do with Jesus? What do you do with Jesus? Here at Cornerstone, we believe Jesus changes everything. We talk about this week in, week out. We believe that this is life-changing. And the question that we're asking today and the text that we're looking at, it seems to me that Jesus is interacting with this group of humans. And they're at this point, this moment, this question, where you got to do something. You've got to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. And we're going to see this, and I would encourage you to ask yourselves, when it comes to Jesus, the person of Jesus, and if you looked at your life, what do you do with him? Who is he for you? If you could, would you rise with me for the reading of God's word? We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. It says this. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay before him Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home to glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, glorified God, and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you. We have these inspired, authoritative, powerful words for us on this day. Lord, right now, as we ask this question, what we do, what will you do with Jesus? Lord, I pray that you would 
in this moment. Let this be more than just a practice of learning. Spirit of God, I pray this is a practice of being changed by you. A practice of just saying, I need you, God. So, Spirit of God, we pray that you would illuminate these words. I pray, Lord, that you would put a filter over my, over my mouth, that all that is said is from you. I pray that today people don't hear from Logan, they hear from you. We believe your kingdom has come. So we just declare your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have your way, King Jesus, in our hearts. Amen. So this morning as we ask this question, it seems to me that there's really three types of people in this passage. I labeled this, titled this sermon, The Sitters the bringers, and the sinner. It seems first, as we look at this text and we look at this interaction that Jesus is having, we see the sitters. It seems to me that there's been this big crowd, people in the story of Luke, they've been learning about Jesus. He's just healed a blind man. He's, been, he, he's, he's had this call to the disciples. There's this excitement and this question of who could Jesus be and so we see this moment Luke is setting the tone he's framing us and telling us about the sitters who are there because on one of those days as he was teaching it says Pharisees and teachers of the law some translations say scribes were sitting there these were these were the, the religious leaders the Pharisees these were the men who studied the Torah, who wrote about the Torah, who, who prayed about the Torah, and who, were, who were, believed that they were called by God to help the people in following the law of God, to understand the law of God, because they believed that when you live in righteousness and when you live under the law of God, you will be blessed. So they studied this, and then there were the scribes who were, were kind of like the Padawans, they were like the trainees, they were the ones who were coming alongside, and they weren't necessarily Pharisees, but they were, they were also studiers of the law, and they would scribe, and they, were, and they, they, they learned the law, and they, they were always thinking about what it meant to, to every little dot and tittle. So they're hearing about Jesus, they're hearing this excitement about Jesus, and they have this question, well, who is he? And this, in the book of Luke, is the first time that they show up to check out Jesus. Says that they were there, and said that they had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And then Luke tells us a little bit about Jesus. It says that the power of the Lord was with him to heal. He's giving us some insights that the power of the Father had come upon Jesus, and by his power he had this ability to heal. And so we see here the first group of people, the sitters. Folks who have heard about Jesus, like to learn about him, like to see, like, like to watch, but they're not really in the game. It reminds me of uh, coaching. 
I've coached quite a bit of baseball and soccer. Um, not, my, my son Tristan's now playing football, and he had his first game yesterday, tackle football, which is overwhelming and scary and crazy. And, and uh, I was sitting watching football, because I don't know anything about football. And I, as I was watching this game, just listening to the people around me, and let me tell you, there's, there needed to be some attitude checks, okay? There was a lot of like, man, these kids are not, man, they need to learn more, they need to grow more, and all of this criticism. And I was just, as I was reading this and just thinking about all these sitters, I was like, where are these sitters? I'm sitting here and I'm watching, and I'm not in the game. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the one that's, that's giving my, my time every day to go and coach these kids and to love them and care for them. I'm not the one that's in the game, but man, do I have some opinions about the way that they should do things. It seems to me as Jesus is talking here and Luke is writing about this narrative, he's, he's writing and, he, and, and I, I believe that he's very intentional when he tells us that they were sitting by. I mean, just picture this. Jesus is teaching and there's these leaders in the church, there are these leaders of, of the people and they're sitting and they're just watching. Or maybe they're just waiting for Jesus to mess up. They're just waiting for him to misspeak or to do something that breaks the code. And so we see the sitters. Remember the question, what do you do with Jesus? Second, we got the bringers. We have the bringers. When I read this, I am just so compelled by these men. Look at what happens here. You got these guys sitting around. There's this whole crowd that's listening to Jesus. There's this excitement in the room, and it says, And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowds, they said, Well, let's get, we'll try again another day. He said, well, the thought, it's the thought that counts. No. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. In those days, they had, the, the, the buildings were oftentimes two stories, and, and a lot of scholars and commentators say that probably the entrance to the, to the upper, room, upper roof was probably actually on the outside. So it's not like they snuck in. They probably could have just went on the outside, went up on the, on the roof here. And look at what happens here. It says, and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. The, the reading here in the original language, is, as Luke is telling us this story, that word for into the midst of Jesus, it's like there's this moment and we're now wondering, what is Jesus going to do? I mean, just picture this. He has a room full of people. He's teaching. Everyone's excited. And all of a sudden, there's this commotion in the ceiling. The, the reeds are being pulled aside. The clay is being 
is being pulled aside and people are going like, what is going on? And all of a sudden they see a dude being, put, being let down through the ceiling and you see these other dudes looking in, peering down and Jesus is looking up and you're wondering, oh boy, what's he going to do? What a horrible interu- interruption. Jesus was just about to teach us something incredible. And we have this moment, and Jude, for the reader, is inviting you and I to ask this question, what is Jesus going to do? We know this guy. He's the paralyzed guy. He's the guy that's been, he has this mat, and he roll, unrolls this mat every day, and he sits there, and there's no way for him to live other than just to beg for help. And they're letting him down. And I, I remember that Jesus had healed earlier this blind guy. What's he going to do? Is he going to correct them? Have you ever had that moment, maybe with your kids, when like they've pretty much gone way overboard? But you're looking at them, and you're wondering like, I probably should correct this, but I'm kind of just really proud of you. Because of how far you would go. And imagine here as Jesus is sitting here and he looks at them. Look at what he says. Don't miss this. Don't miss Jesus' words, our Lord, to the bringer. Because here we find... Now notice, not the cripple. We find a sinner. Look at what it says. When he saw their faith, he said, man. Now the word man here is, the commentators say, it's not so much of a rebuke or a correction, it's more of like a brother, friend looks at this paralyzed, crippled man, and he says, everyone's like on the edge of their seat, like, is Jesus about to heal him? Could you imagine the letdown right now when he says, your sins are forgiven? Come on, Jesus! I mean, I get that sin, yeah, but he can't walk! There's something incredibly profound and important for us as we think about our own challenges in this world, in this life. And the Lord, as he looks at this man, it says that he sees their faith. And this isn't a teaching moment for Jesus. I, be- I believe that right now in this moment, Jesus is declaring that there's this faith and his sins are forgiven. It is a teaching moment, but it's more than a teaching moment. It's a forgiving moment. Because he saw their faith, and he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? You see, they understand the Torah. They understand the ways of God. And they recognize that right now, Jesus, the rabbi, the one, the one who's been doing this healing, the one that everybody's talking about, he is in this moment making this claim that he has the very authority of God to forgive sins. 
and they're squirming. And they seem to be kind of having this chatter. Oh, man. Perhaps starting to think about what they need to do, starting to grab stones, because blasphemy, the penalty for this is death. And it seems to be in this story, really, the beginning of the end. It seems to be the trajectory of these, as Luke is progressively revealing to the reader the lordship of Jesus, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, and there are these religious leaders that are starting to realize we need to do something about it. So you see the sitters there. You see the bringers looking down. And then you have the sinner looking at Jesus. I find it interesting when it says that Jesus saw their faith. There's a word, uh, this question, well, is it the faith of the friends that gives the forgiveness of the sins of the, of the, of the cripple? That seems to kind of mess with our theology a little bit. Seems to be what I really liked I was, as I was reading this and wrestling with this, of what exactly is going on here. There's this word that they use called um, synodeki. It's this idea that when you're, you're talking about the word there, it's not just, just doesn't just see there the, 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 the friends that are lowering their, lowering their friend through. He also sees the faith of the paralyzed it's the same word is used like when we talk about like, for example, the San Francisco Giants lost again. But kind of the reality of the last few weeks. Now, San Francisco, the whole place didn't necessarily lose. But it's referring to this association and this connection. John Calvin, he wrote about this, and I found this to be very helpful. He said this, with regard to this present passage, though Christ is said to have been moved by the faith of others, yet the paralytic could not have obtained the forgiveness of his sins if he had no faith of his own. Unworthy persons were often restored by Christ to health of body as God daily maketh his son to rise on the evil and the good. But there is no other way in which he is reconciled to us than by faith. There is a synodeki here, therefore, in the word there. When it is said that Jesus saw their faith, for Christ not only looked at those who brought the paralytic, but he looked at his faith. It was the faith that saved him. We reflect on this, we see this question here. And we see this moment here when it says that Jesus perceived their thoughts. That he, had, that, that he as he's looking at this, he, he pronounces this forgiveness of sin. And in the story of Luke, there's this progressive revelation where Luke is slowly showing us Jesus being exactly who he was prophesied to be, exactly what was prayed over him. If you remember in the story of his birth, in the story of his blessing, there was this guy named Zechariah who prophesied about this. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 76. This prophesy about baby Jesus. It says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. 
because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So here, as Jesus is, t- is declaring the forgiveness of sins, this is the realization of this blessing and this promise that was declared over him. And the question for you and the question for the reader and the question for everybody in the room is, what are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with Jesus? He's he's no longer just the good rabbi who says a lot of good things. He's no longer like like, like just the prophet or the, the healer who can do these healings. He's now saying, I'm God. I have the authority here. What are you going to do if Jesus changes everything? Brother, sister, beloved, what do we do? I believe Luke is asking this question not just in this moment, but also right now today. What will you do? You ask this question, look at what Jesus does to help us. It says that when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? Imagine the sitters here. They're starting to ask, oh man, he's claiming to be God. They're starting to kind of have these talks, but he's not hearing them. And then all of a sudden, you ever had this happen with your parents when like, You think they're not watching you, but they have like eyes in the back of their head. It's like Jesus not only calls them out and here's the the murmuring, here's the complaining, here's the criticizing, here's the questioning. He also calls out their hearts. It's like he doesn't just hear this, he sees their hearts. You can't hide from him. And this also has been promised. Simeon, earlier, he made a promise about Jesus. He says that in, in chapter 2, verse 34, it said, Simeon blessed them when, when Mary and jo- Joseph are bringing Jesus to be blessed. So he blessed them and he said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And it tells this to Mary, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that thoughts from many be revealed. So Jesus here, he perceives their thoughts. He perceives, even right now when I ask the question, what do you do with Jesus? You you may declare back something, but Jesus knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. And here Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, which is easier for you to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. In other words, Jesus says, he anticipates that the, the, the reader here, that the crowd here, they just want him to deal with the right now, the circumstance. And Jesus says, I, I can do that, but what is harder is to deal with the eternal thing. The problem of sin that started all the way back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve that we've been struggling with for thousands of years. But Jesus says, which is easier? He says, but that you may know that the Son 
of man. That's a hyperlink back to a whole bunch of prophecies about from Daniel and other places about who Jesus is. That the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says, just to be sure, just to help you with this struggle of what you're going to do with Jesus, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. You see here, Jesus doesn't leave room for a good man or a prophet. It's this moment where he's healing, he's changing everything, and we're being asked the question, what are you going to do? Commentator Daryl L. Bach says this, if the paralytic walks, the miracle talks about the Son of Man's ability to forgive Readers are confronted with the choice of how they will respond to God's agent, Jesus, who has authority to forgive sins. Is he a blasphemy, blasphemer? Or is he sent from God with authority to forgive transgression? Would God support a fraud with such works? Or someone else behind him? Is Jesus the one that God promised? This event forces such questions and does not permit anyone to sit on the fence about the answer. But the question is, what will you do with Jesus? The question here is, what do we do with Jesus? My contention, Cornerstone, my hope for you and me today as we reflect on this is that we would not be sitters. that we would not be observers. That we would be a bringer. That we would be a bringer. It seems to me that there's these friends and they, they have this faith that Jesus is the Messiah or that at least that he's, he's, he's changes everything and they're just like, no matter what, I just know this friend who's been crippled his whole life, who's been begging on this mat his whole life, I just got to get him to Jesus. It seems to me that for many of us, we need to be bringers. As we think about if we are a church, if we are a people who really believe that Jesus changes everything, why are we not bringing our friends to Jesus? Why are we not cutting holes in ceilings? Why are we not saying that this is the length that we will go to bring friends to Jesus, to bring our neighbor, to bring our friend, to bring our enemy, because Jesus changes everything, amen? So the question I believe that the Lord is asking you and I, the, the call to action is that we are a church of bringers, and I believe we already are. The question is just how? We have so much opportunity here at Cornerstone to live this out. We got a men's steak night. We got a great chance to bring a friend to have a steak and to hear the gospel. We got a ladies' night, night out, another same exact thing. We got we have worship here every single Sunday. We got Wednesday night groups where there's a meal. We have this incredible program called Celebrate Recovery where any hurt, any habit, any hang up is going to be brought to the Lord and we believe that Jesus can change it. 
We got community groups. We're in community groups together and we're, we're praying together and we're studying God's word together and we're asking Jesus, will you, will you teach us? Will you learn us? We don't want to be sitters. We want to be bringers. We want to be active. We want to be ready. We want to be anxious to be in wonder and amazement at what God is doing. Be a bringer. And I would encourage you, church, it can be so easy in the day in and day out to literally just be a sitter. I want to gently say this as you sit in church. We are called to be bringers. You're called to do more than just learn and take notes. You're called to be a people that are bringers. Hear this. Don't get it twisted. We are crippled bringers family of God. It can be easy to read this story and say, I'm not the sitter, I'm the bringer. But in this story, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you and I are the sinner. For there's no one righteous, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All are in need of his grace, as we sing today. And so I would encourage you on this Lord's Day, hopefully you're challenged like me to be a bringer. Oh, hear this also, be a receiver. I'm not talking about football. It can be easy to miss this, that we all need Jesus every moment. We all need the gospel and the grace of our Lord every single time, whether this is the hundredth year that you've been coming to church here and, the, and that you've been in relationship with Jesus already, this is the first time that you've thought about putting your faith in him. We need to receive his grace and his power and continue to say that Jesus is changing my life. Just this past week I had an elder meeting and it was just one of those days that was like, it was, a, it was just a bad day for me. It was a hard day some pastoral things, went and visited Glenn, prayed with the family, just a lot of meetings, a lot of really hard things, and I went to that meeting, and I, I'll be honest, it was just a really hard day, I was kind of at my wits end, we had an elder meeting, and it was, I had lots to talk about and pray about, and at the end of the meeting, my brothers have this habit at our elder meetings of laying their hands on me and praying for me. What I loved in that moment is as I was feeling weak is having the community come alongside and pray for a discouraged brother, for a tired pastor. But I had to be a receiver. So there's this beautiful, I believe, call to the church that we are a people who are just constantly bringing Jesus, bringing our friends and bringing each other to Jesus. This isn't just about bringing the lost soul to Jesus. This is also the reminder to the discouraged, to the, to the, the beaten up, to the tired to say, come to Jesus. Oh, you can't get there. You're so overwhelmed with your anxiety. You're so overwhelmed with your fear. You're so you're so overwhelmed with the grief of this loss. I'll bring you to Jesus. I'll lay my hands on you. I'll pray for you. This is what we're called to do. This is what it looks like to be the people of God. We are a bunch of bringers. 
And it's not a call to say, go bring your friends to church. It's a call to say, bring your friends to Jesus. As you go to him. One of my favorite things to do on Saturdays before I preach is Charles Spurgeon wrote a sermon about every single, every single passage in the Bible, it seems. And he wrote an amazing sermon on the passage. And he talked about this call to be bringers. He says, in every congregation we have a fourth class who would decline to be classed at all. They may be said to be here and not here. They are spectators rather than hearers. Like the gentleman mentioned in our text, they are sitting by. They are not repenting. They are not believing. They are not entering into the truth at all. They are sitting by. They have come to look on, take notes, make remarks. They are on the outskirts of the battle, but they are not combatants at all. They are sitting by where they hope they are out of gunshot. These people were sitting by because there was in them no sense of personal need. No perception of their own nakedness, which only Christ can cover. No sense of inward hunger, which only Jesus can remove. They did not want a savior for themselves. Though quite willing to hear him preach to others. They did not require mercy for themselves, though pleased that sinners should hear of it. O oh, my hearer, seek the Lord with all your heart, and seek him on and on, till you find him. Do not be a mere sitter by any longer, but obey the call which bids you to draw near. O oh, mere sitter by, I implore you, do not remain in this wretched case. May you cry to the Lord be at this moment, give me Christ, or else I die. Church, I would encourage you and exhort you as you think about this school year, as you think about all the programs happening, as you think about where the Lord is calling you, I believe the Lord is calling you to not be a sinner. And as you stand, as you think about what it means to cry out to Jesus, to come alongside the broken and the hurting, don't neglect the most powerful, wonderful call that we have, that you and I are broken and hurting. We need Jesus. As you finish this time on this Lord's Day, we're going to sing a song called I Speak Jesus. It's this beautiful song just about the powerful name of Jesus. The word Jesus means Yahweh saves. It means that the very grace of God has this ability that even though you may walk into a room and you may not even know it, grab will just, God will just grab your heart and he will just say, you are mine. It's this irresistible, irreplaceable grace. I believe that right now in this moment, for many of us, the Lord may be calling you to be a receiver. 
So we're going to sing this song, and then I'm going to invite my elders, my ministering elders, and our prayer team up here. We don't usually do this, but why not do it today? And as this song is sung over each other, I picture in my head anybody who needs to be a receiver coming down and getting prayed over by their fellow brothers and sisters. Not to worry about, oh man, what will they think? What will they? Just to say, I, I, the most important thing I can do right now is to be, is, is, is to receive the grace of Jesus. And then as we sing this, that we would continue to be a community that is just, we are bringing one another to Jesus. Amen? And so I encourage you, I'm going to say a prayer, and then our worship team is going to lead us in a song. And if the Lord is calling you to come down, I'll, I'll be here, our prayer team will be here, and you just need someone to pray over you as we worship, the volume will be loud, no one will hear you. If you need prayer, come down and get prayed over in worship right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you that you, you have this incredible ability to look deep into our souls, that, that Jesus, you see the, the ultimate source of all of our struggle and that sin, that struggle, that's pain, that's, 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 it all goes back to this fall. And Lord Jesus, you came. You came, you lived a perfect life. You emptied yourself. You died on a cross and you said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And you said, it is finished. God, we believe that your work on the cross deals with our sin. And Lord, I just pray as we sing, as we speak Jesus over our anxiousness, over our struggles, over our sin, over our infidelity, over our addictions, over our hurts, over our habits, over our hang-ups, over our broken relationships, over our just struggle in our mind and depression and anxiety. I pray, Jesus, that this would just be a time for anybody watching online, for anybody here in this place to have you, Jesus, our good shepherd, minister. So we trust you to do your work in this place, Spirit of God. We invite one another to you. In your name we pray.